the message I'm calling today is right people, right time. And so far, what we have been looking at is, uh, and in recent weeks, we've been seeing God working significantly in a family and how God has been loving and caring and sovereignly moving in the family of God. Um, this, this, this small family, Jacob and his sons, and moving every single little detail of their life in order to bring them back together. And now we find them in a bit of a transition moment that they are moving from being a, a people, uh, sorry, a family into being a nation. But what we're going to see is that the, the attentiveness and the loving care of God the Father doesn't in any way reduce as this, this family transitions from family into nation. And how actually this nation is the nation, is the answer to all of the problems that we have in society at the moment and is a glorious and wonderful and beautiful thing. So let's get straight into it. Genesis chapter 46 from verse 1. The words will appear on the screen. We'll read it together. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifice to the Lord, the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night. How cool is that? Visions of the night. We no longer have dreams at Revelation Church. We have visions of the night. And he spoke to him and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Here we have straight up, right in it, into it, just a wonderful and beautiful moment for Jacob and for, uh, and for, for a, a, a wonderful display of God's faithfulness and his goodness. We read just at the end of the last chapter how Jacob's spirit had been revived after 22 years of being separated from his son Joseph and fearing that he had died. He's now heard Joseph is alive and in Egypt and the, the, the famine that they're in and him and his family are in in Canaan, they can be delivered from it and go and live in Egypt, be reunited with Joseph and know all of the abundance that only Egypt can offer. And now as they start off their journey towards Egypt, they then are met with this immediate and clear voice of God where he speaks this promise over his people. He says, I will make you into a great nation. Now, this is a great promise to hear at the best of time, at any time, really. I mean, imagine if God woke you up in the night and said, I am going to make you into a great nation, Alice, or I am going to make you into a great nation, Azura. You think that is moderately encouraging. Thank you very much, God. I am not too frustrated that you have woken me up. I will go back to sleep now, but thank you very much, God. But for Jacob, this was the promise. This was the promise that had been given to Abraham, that I'm going to make you into a nation, his, his grandfather, Abraham, and with all of the blessings that comes along with that. And then it was confirmed again to his father, Isaac. And then 30 years ago or so, he, had, he himself had received the same promise. But the time has been quiet since then. He has not heard from God in a long time. And I can't imagine that there's many people amongst us that haven't at some point entertained the thought that maybe I have managed to write myself out of God's story somehow. 
that maybe we've done something or maybe there is a perceived opportunity that was in front of us that we didn't take or or maybe just from sheer laziness we think i think i'm going to miss out on god's best for me and i imagine this must be some of the thoughts that jacob's having and probably more likely for him thinking because of something i've done or haven't done maybe my whole family is going to miss out on the blessings that god has for them and whilst he's in that frame of mind here comes the voice of God. He awakens him in the night. I love just how tender he is in verse two. He says, Jacob, Jacob. Just the, the repeating of his name, the, the, the loving tenderness of the father saying, I still love you. I'm still for you. I still want to bless you. And speaks that great promise. I will make you into a great nation. And while the, the majesty and the splendor and the beauty and the scale of that promise is still ringing in our ears, we then move into verse 5, where we receive something of a stark reality check. Because verses 5 all the way through to verse 27, quite a long passage, describes then the journey of the people through to Egypt from Canaan. And it doesn't describe the, the route that they took or which service station they stopped at or whether or not they moaned about just how ridiculously expensive Burger King is at service stations. What we see primarily listed in that time is just a listing of the names of the people of God, this family that has been, that has been moved. And while it is quite long just to read it on your own, contained within there is just 70 names of people. And so we have this kind of this this stark contrast between we, you are going to become a great nation and you're sort of living in the joy of that and thinking, oh, look what God's going to do. And then you are confronted with the reality of the situation as it currently is just 70 people. I measured it in my Bible. It only takes up it's a normal font size and it only takes up nine and three quarter centimeters in my Bible of people. This is not yet a great nation. And you might think. Oh, okay. Well, maybe these are 70 of just the best nation builders you could possibly get your hands on in order to form a new nation. Maybe there's political leaders, military strategists, maybe there's uh, intellect and businessmen and women and philosophers and, you know, all the people that you'd need to form a, a, a coherent society. But actually, as you make your way through the list, this is more or less a roll call of at the kind of top end, just a, a very unremarkable, very broken, very limited group of people. But actually, there are many names within there who we know are, are rebellious, we know are broken, we know are sinful, we know are lazy and just downright unresourceful. Their nation building credentials are somewhat lacking. And as every single name is listed and we are we are so clear on who we've got here, the state of this embryonic nation of Israel is really laid bare before us. They have got a long way to go. And it's a pretty sorry list until you get to the end of verse 27. Let me read it to you. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Israel in, into Egypt were 70. 
Now for us, that is just a normal sentence that says there were 70 people that came. But the construction of the sentence in the Hebrew is designed to end emphatically this sentence and indeed this whole little section and the list of people on the number 70. 70 is the emphasis here of this whole passage and this list. And the number 70 is a whole and complete number. In Hebrew thought, this, this represents that they are a complete people. But it's even more than that, because the number 70 is a product of the number 7 and the number 10, which again, in Hebrew thoughts, these two numbers represent perfection. And so the, as you, you come to the end of this list, you think this is a hopeless bunch of people, and then emphatically, bang, it ends on the number 70. And it reframes and reconstructs the whole passage that has gone before it. And what we see here is that or what's, what the author is communicating through the inspiration of God is that God is saying, look, for my divine purpose, this group is perfection upon perfection. This group is exactly who I want. But as we have this picture of God's people, Jacob, his sons and all of their family coming up to the gates of the most impressive and wealthiest nation and, and the, the most powerful super nation that's ever existed and they've got their uh, they've got their skyscrapers they've got their franchise coffee outlets they've got pyramids they've got sphinxes they've got it all and here comes just a few people in a few wagons that we look at them and think god are you serious like these people you're going to try and form something with in this place these bunch this is a bunch of no hopes but what god is saying is he's just saying that i i love them these are my people these are who i have set myself on these are who i've given myself to i delight in each and every one of them that as we see this list of names really what we see again is the tenderness of the father the God, the Father, he, listing each and every name. It's almost like, you know, when you, you sometimes ask someone, have you got kids? And then half an hour later, you really wish that you hadn't asked. They've only got two kids, but they just cannot shut up telling you about them. And they're, they're telling you what toothpaste they use and what brand trainers they have. And you're just like, I, I really couldn't care less. And you try and edge away from the conversation, which is really difficult on Zoom. That's kind of what's going on here. God is just saying, look, I see each and every one of my people. And you may not be much in the world's eyes, but I love you and I am for you. And I see you, Tola. And I see you too, Poover. And you, I, I just, I'm going to do something with you. You are exactly, I see you just as you are and I love you and I need you just as you are. You're exactly what I want. And you know, that's exactly how God sees us. That I think we could be tempted to see ourselves and think, as a little church plant up against the vast city of Manchester with its pyramids and its, its skyscrapers and its coffee outlets and just think, how could he ever use us? How could he ever use me to build something substantial here and do something big? But God looks on us in the same way and says, look, I see your imperfections. I see your lack of resources. I see your, your shortcomings. I even see your sin. I see it all. And yet I delight in you. I can use you. You are exactly who I need. You are my people. I list you all by name. You are exactly who I want to build my kingdom in Manchester. And as his people then enter into Egypt, 
we see this moment that for us, as we've gone through the narrative, is long anticipated. The reunion between Joseph and his father Jacob. I'll just read it, verse 29. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. After 22 years of separation, Jacob and Joseph are reunited together again. We've been waiting for this moment and it is a profound moment. I mean, if, if Hollywood were to get their hands on this script and if Hollywood were to do this, you just know that this scene would be two people approaching one another from either sides of the screen, probably running in a field of some description, slow-mo running towards one another. The music would slowly, slowly build and then come to a crescendo just as they unite and the shot would linger as they embrace. And it truly is a profound moment. There's, there's tears from Joseph. Jacob says, now I can die happy because I've seen you. But it is also a very short moment. It only gets these two verses in this whole narrative, that it really isn't the focus of this passage. And here I think we see, a, a, see really starkly that the narrative really is starting to move on. That although we have been so focused on this family, the building and the reunion and the bringing together of this family is for a purpose. That the, the climactic moment that we've been waiting for almost gets swallowed up in this bigger story of God now starting to build his nation. That this reunion is very much part of a bigger thing. That he has been working in this family's life in order to give birth to this nation. And the focus then moves to where is this family going to settle? Where are they going to be? And so for the rest of chapter 46, and then for the beginning of chapter 47, the focus is on them moving to this place called Goshen. And the question of where this family is going to settle, I think is really quite interesting. Because we've seen they can't stay in, in Canaan, nor indeed can they go to any other area apart from Egypt. The famine is too extreme too, uh, and they'd be too vulnerable anywhere else. They must go to Egypt. But if they were to just go to Egypt proper, that too would be fraught with difficulties. There is no way that a proud superpower nation like Egypt would just allow some people to turn up in their nation and then just allow another nation to grow underneath their care and just be like, oh yeah, that's totally cool. Just another nation happening to, to burgeon within us. We're fine with that. No, the moment that this group of people who are still very, very small, but the moment they start to resemble a nation in size would be the moment that they would be colonized or crushed by the Egyptians. Because if there's anything you need to know about leaders of world superpowers back in ancient times and, and probably today is that they are extremely paranoid. And so any hint of a threat, they will just come down on it with all of their weight. And so what Joseph then does, because he knows Pharaoh, uh, is he coaches his brothers and says, look, you need to make it super clear that you are not a threat to Pharaoh. Any hint of threat and he's going to so you need to be really clear about just who you are and how you, you cannot threaten his, his empire. 
And so he says, you need to just emphasize time and time and time again, you are shepherds, you are shepherds, you are shepherds. And so that is what they do. And in this, we see again, as we've been seeing throughout this series, just how masterfully God has stitched this whole story together, how he is truly moving every single detail and has been working in the past to move up to moments like this where everything just comes together for his people. Because there's this one line right at the end of verse 46, uh, chapter 46, sorry, in verse 34, where Joseph speaking to his brothers says, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And in the sovereignty and the providence of God, what this means is that the one thing that Joseph's family are, are the one thing that the Egyptians can't stand. They hate shepherds. It's a little bit like Pharaoh just learned that these guys were Liverpool fans. It's like, I, I, I thought you were going to be okay and now everything's falling apart. It creates a really unique cocktail in Pharaoh's heart. Because on the one hand, he wants to be really generous to these people. Because of the connection that they've got with Joseph. But on the other hand, he's just learned something about them that is utterly repulsive to him. And it gets resolved in verse six. He says to the family, the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land, the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. And so, again, we see here he is really generous in his response. He gives them the best of the land, but he is also really key, uh, really careful and really intentional in making sure that they end up somewhere where he can completely forget that they are within his land and that they are anywhere near him. He sends them to this land of Goshen, somewhere that is right out on the fringes, somewhere that he can be most sure that the Egyptians will just never have to go near them at all because they are, as, he, as we've learned, an abomination to the Egyptians. And so in leading his people to the land of Goshen, God has landed this tiny family of Israel, a killer combination. They have got a rich land, the best of the land, that will be able to support and resource the uh, forming and growing nation. It's completely safe. They don't have to worry about attacks from enemy because they're safely within Egypt's borders. But at the same time, they are in a place where Egypt are going to do their best to pretend that they do not exist at all. They don't have to worry about, oh, what if Egypt see who we are and start to get suspicious and, and a bit, bit paranoid of us? They are going to be completely avoided by the Egyptians. They have now their own land within Egypt, a set apart place where they can go about becoming all that God wants them to be. Jackson and Calvin, my two boys, have recently started uh, growing some sunflowers. And so they're, they're potted on our win windowsill at the moment. Um, and it occurred to me that these seeds, if they were just chucked out in the garden, there would be a high likelihood that they wouldn't make it, that the, the, the conditions would just be too harsh. But in putting them in this, this temporary home, potting them on our windowsill, somewhere that they're not going to stay there forever. This is not their, their natural habitat. This is not their forever home. 
but it is a safe environment for them to go from this very, very vulnerable seed to get strengthened so that they can live where they're meant to be. And that's exactly what God is doing with the nation of Israel right here. He is potting them in this place called Goshen. It's not their forever home. They're not going to be there forever, but it is absolutely perfect for the vulnerable stage that they're at right now, where they can grow and strengthen and become all that they need to be before returning to the promised land, their natural habitat. And again, we just see the, the hand of the father and the care of the father as he moved every single little detail to make sure that his people are led into the right place and that they then have a place where he can then say, look, here, here you go. You'll be safe here. You can grow here. And I love what we see here about the deliberate nature of God. He deliberately moves his people into just the right place so that they can be nurtured, nourished and grow. I'm just so encouraged that that's the case for us as we find ourselves online uh, in lockdown as a church family thinking surely this is not how God wants it to be. Actually, we can take encouragement and think that on some level, this is exactly how he wants it to be. He's moved us into this place. He's potted us in online church in a way that we can grow and be nourished and be nurtured by him. And praise God, this is not our forever home. He's not putting us here because this is now our natural habitat, but he is putting us here to strengthen us so that he can lead us on just like he will with these people. Because there could not be a starker contrast to the people of God who the, the nation of Israel as they enter into Egypt here, 70 people, a fairly unimpressive bunch, totally weakened by famine to when they leave. That it is here in Goshen where they start to become the 600,000 strong nation that then leaves Egypt in the Exodus. That is a pretty impressive growth curve. And as we then go through the, the beginning of the Old Testament and start to see this nation really flourish, we might look at that and think, oh, that is the fulfillment of this promise happening that you will become a great nation, the nation of Israel and their strength and their military capacity. But actually, this is only a partial fulfillment of the promise that God made. This is the nation of Israel was just a stage on the way to the nation that God really wanted and had his heart set on. Because the nation of Israel was only ever able to accommodate one ethnicity. It was only ever designed to accommodate one people group, one heritage, one skin color. But the total fulfillment of this promise of a great nation was to come true at the cross of Jesus Christ, where it all changed. That through the death and through the blood of Jesus Christ, all barriers that separate races have been brought down. That truly the nation was formed when Jesus Christ was hung on that tree. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility that separates each and every one of us and made a way that every person might be able to come all could gather to him regardless of of race regardless of nation regardless of background regardless of language regardless of skin color that the blood of jesus christ forms the nation that god promises right here in genesis chapter 46 just as one peter says that we 
through Jesus have become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is the nation that the world is currently longing for. This nation is the only place where true harmony and true peace and true unity can be known, where true reconciliation between people can happen. And it is a nation that can only come about through Jesus. And so although we do find ourselves very much in a Goshen-like existence at the moment, small in number, perhaps feeling a little bit vulnerable, repotted into lockdown, waiting on God and, and trusting in him that he will build us as a family. On the one hand, that is true. But on the other, what is also very true is that we have already been established by Jesus as a great nation, that it has already happened and we're already living in the good of it. And so we are able as a people to rejoice in and celebrate the cross, the cross that has brought us together, that has torn down our dividing lines and unites us as a single people. We have been built and we are being built as we continue to follow Jesus into a nation where that, that he has always promised us, a nation that fully and completely reflects the glory of God.